Well, this morning we are taking a continue to take a break from our series in Genesis, talking about the, the first 11 chapters. We talk about the beginning of the world because it is Easter. And today is the day I want to talk about, obviously, the resurrection. The resurrection. The day that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. The most important day in all of Christianity. It wasn't when Jesus was born because he could have been born and never died. It wasn't when Jesus died on the cross because Jesus could have died on the cross and never rose again. It is the day that he defeated death, bringing hope into this world. And that's why it deserves all the pomp and the circumstance and all the pretty flowers and the daffodils and the lights and the excitement. It's not just simply a component of the gospel. It's like the main event, right? It's the centerpiece of divine redemption for the world. It is like the cornerstone of the gospel promise. It is the, the guarantee of eternal life for those who would believe. All of God, Christ's work, his teachings, his miracles, they would all be meaningless without the resurrection. In fact, Paul said in, in, in uh, Corinthians, he, he says this in, in 15, he says, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. But because he has risen, believers have hope, both for this life and the life to come. Can someone give me an amen? amen. Ooh, that was good for a 9 a.m. That was good for a 9 a.m. Now, in past Easter's, I have made over and over again an apologetic defense for the gospel, which means I've laid out the evidence for why the gospel makes sense and why of all the places you put your faith, it is the only one worthy of that faith. For it does require faith because uh, I have yet to find the ability to make Jesus just appear. Many times I've done that, he's never appeared. But I also believe of all the worldviews that you could have, of all the things that you could put your faith in, and whatever you believe, it requires your faith. There's nothing, no worldview that you have that is rock solid, 100%. You can lay it all out there, and everybody's like, ah. Oh. It all requires faith, no matter what you believe. But I believe the gospel and the evidence for it and the way that it plays out in the world outweighs anything else out there, no questions. That it takes more faith to believe in any other worldview than it does the gospel. And so that's why I've talked about it for many years. And, and, and this morning, we're not going to talk about that. But if you were in that place where you're like, man, I am really curious. I want to see more evidence. I got that book that came out years ago called The Case of Easter. And if you come see me afterwards, I promise I will not sit you in a chair and tie you to a chair for a long time. I'll give you one. The reason I'm doing it, I just don't have that many. So I want to make sure I give it to those who really need it. Now today, what I want to focus on instead is I want to talk about the implications of the gospel the implications of the resurrection, rather. I want to talk about the resurrection and how it changes things for those who believe. And my prayer is, for those of you who do believe, that you will be reminded of how the resurrection changes for things for you, that it would refresh you, that it would bring you new joy and purpose in the gospel because it's frankly easy to lose sight of that at times. 
And for those of you who are still seeking, I, I, my prayer is to show you why Christians celebrate Easter, why we get all excited, why we get all dressed up, why we praise our, raise our hands in the air, why we praise, why we talk about our faith 365 days a week, or hopefully we do, why we're so passionate. I'm hoping today you'll understand it a little bit more, and that it'll bring you a step closer to putting your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior as well. That is my prayer, and I pray that we will all respond to the Holy Spirit. Amen, church? Amen. Now, let's do this. We're going to be in Mark chapter 16. I'm going to have it on the slides, but you can also find that in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can pull it out from the seat in front of you. It is page, I wrote this down for you, page 802. And if you do not have a Bible this morning and you want to keep one, you can take this one free of charge with you. All right, I don't always do this, but this morning, would you stand with me as I read God's word? If you would, if you are able. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who's going to roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed, with good reason. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen, and he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out, the ladies, and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we see these women making their way to the tomb, and they're taking with them oils and spices and perfumes. And this is something that was done in these times uh, to keep a body from, to be frank, smelling as it decomposed. This is what you did. Because it was a warm climate there. So things could get a little smelly. Not to be crass. Now obviously, as they were going, they were not expecting Jesus to be resurrected. In fact, they were worried about even being, getting access to him. They said, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? And the reason this was a current concern is for these types of graves. Remember Joseph of Arimathea, he donated his, his grave uh, to Jesus. People who had money, they had nice graves. And these graves would have these giant stones in front of them. And these stones would weigh between one and two tons. And though it would only take a couple men to put it into place, because of physics and it fallen into a groove, because of that groove that it fell into, it would be extremely difficult to dislodge it. So this was going to be something that was impossible for these ladies to do, especially since we know that the grave was under Roman guard. 
So there was no insurance that anybody was going to open up anything for them, especially since the Roman guard was there to prevent the followers from Jesus stealing the body. That was the plan. But when they got there, something unexpected happened. Now, Mark doesn't tell us these details. Mark, Mark's gospel is a man's gospel. It's straight to the point. He leaves out pretty much all the details. <laughs> Married women, you know the struggle. But Matthew, he gives us the details. And he tells us that there was a great earthquake. And an angel descended and rolled back the stone. And this is our first implication of the resurrection. The first reason that we can celebrate and praise his name and devote our lives to him is that in life, no matter what the situation, we can look to God to roll back the stone. We can look to God to roll back the stone. This is the question these women were asking, like, who's going to roll this away? Because it was too much for them. And we all ask questions of this, like this in our lives. Every single, every single one of us in here, at one time or another, probably a lot of us right now, we are facing things that are too big for us. Things that we cannot do on our own, things that we cannot overcome on our own. And we feel the feelings of disappointment and frustration and defeat and struggle, and fear, and anxiety, and angry. Now, if you don't have God in your life, you may never think about this, but you are very limited on where you can turn when things are too big for you. And even all you have are the people around you. And even the people that you can turn to for help, you can't have complete confidence that they can help you get through what you're going through. This is why there's endless self-help books on the shelves. Sells millions of dollars a year. Why? Because people are trying to overcome things that they can't overcome. So they're going to things outside of them for help. It is wired into us to realize that we need things bigger than us, things outside of us to help us. And if you don't look to God, you're going to look to something else. But it's wired, in you to, wired inside of you to look. But this is why the resurrection is so big for Christians. Because this was the day that we learned that there was no obstacle too big for God. There was no stone that he could not roll away. And you know what that brings? It brings hope. It brings hope in every situation. I mean, if, if, if Jesus can overcome death, then there is no stone that God cannot roll away in our lives. No sin he cannot roll away. No pains and hurts from your past, he cannot roll away. No things that just seem too big to you that he cannot roll away. Because, I mean, they don't get bigger than death. But then we look at this world, and we see things that don't get rolled away. We watch nightly about war. Or we see death and disease. We look at them and we're like, there's nothing that God can't roll away. I see a lot that, ain't, a lot that is not getting rolled. I want to tell you about a woman. Some of you may have heard of her. She's written tons of books. Her name's Joni Erickson. Anybody ever heard of Joni Erickson? Yeah, we got some, all right? Here's, here's her picture if you haven't seen her. 
okay? She's a Christian woman, and uh, she was in an accident when she was 18. And this accident was so bad, she became a quadriplegic. And she was paralyzed from the neck down at that time. Now, when she went through this, she still went to church. When she was trying to come to grips with this horrible thing, she turned to God. Often, uh, what we often do, we turn to God when things go really, really bad. Try to make sense of it. Try to find comfort. Well, at that time, she was an Episcopalian. And the problem with being an Episcopalian, if you've ever been in an Episcopalian church and in being in a wheelchair, is at a certain point, the Episcopalian priest is going to ask you to kneel. If you're in a wheelchair, that's going to be a problem. And so every week when he would call everyone to kneel, she would burst into tears because it was a reminder of her situation that she could never kneel. It was terrible for her, she writes. And she said until one Easter where, where the priest said, hey, let's kneel. And, and, and she started to burst into tears again, but out of nowhere, she found herself praying the same prayer that everybody else was praying this time. And it was a prayer about the resurrection because it was Easter. And she said, suddenly it hit me. And in the book, she says, I'm going to summarize this. She goes, I suddenly realized in that moment that when I get to heaven, the first thing I'll be able to do is with my resurrected legs, drop to my knees before my Savior. And then she says, the second thing I'll be able to do is I'll get up and I'll dance. And then she adds, can you imagine the hope the resurrection gives to someone who has a spinal cord injury? Can you imagine the kind of hope the resurrection gives to someone who's manic depressive? No other religion or philosophy that I have ever found other than biblical faith promises us new bodies, new minds, new hearts. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ brings hope to hurting people like If you can't kneel, if you can't dance, the resurrection says you're going to dance perfectly in heaven. Even if that reason's because you have two left feet. If you're lonely, the resurrection tells us that in heaven you will love perfectly. If you're empty, the resurrection tells us that you'll be filled perfectly. If you struggle with depression, the resurrection tells us you will be filled with joy perfectly. You know, I think about this pandemic that we went through and so many people lost loved one in their lives. That seems like an immovable stone. But with the resurrection, you know you have the hope to hug them again in heaven one day. This is the reason that we celebrate Easter because there is no stone that God cannot roll away. Pain and suffering in this life lasts 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, but eternity, because of the resurrection, lasts forever. This is why we raise our hands. This is why we sing. This is why we give our lives to the Lord. There's no stone that God cannot roll away. Do you believe that this morning? 
in whatever you're going through in your lives, are you sitting in defeat and hopelessness? Or even as hard as it may be, are you looking to the God who can roll any stone away? If that wasn't good enough, there's even more implications, more reasons. Another one I want to point out is, is found in the first words that the angel spoke to the woman. He said, don't be alarmed. Reminds me like when a man tells his wife to relax, like that helps anything. Just relax. Oh, thank you, honey. I'm so relaxed. Love you. Love you, honey. He says, don't be alarmed. It's almost like, you know, I, you know, I've read this verse. This is what I love about the Bible. You can read a verse 5,000 times, and then on the 5,000 and first time, you're like, oh, I've never said that, saw that before. You ever notice that? It's like, don't be alarmed. He's like, I'm here, it's okay, it's part of the plan. God had a plan, it's been carried out, it's all good. Don't be alarmed. You know, and if you read the Bible, it's always been that way with God. Throughout the entire Old Testament, book after book, we see God reassuring his people in good times and bad, saying, don't be alarmed, I got a plan. This is another reason that we celebrate the gospel, the resurrection rather, is because we know God always has a plan. My favorite saying, nothing has ever occurred to God. You know, some of you, it'll take a few minutes, but you get it. Remember Habakkuk? We studied this like the second year I was here. Habakkuk was this prophet in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament's all about Israel. And, he, and Habakkuk, he was angry at God. He was angry. He's like, God, what are you doing? He, he, he went off. He was like, God, you're crazy, you're nuts. The, the, there was this nation coming in called the Babylonians, and they were going to wipe Israel out. They were going to take them hostage, right? And, and, and he's mad about it because these Babylonians are bad people. Now, side point, this was Israel's fault that this was all happening, but that's for another sermon. But he's like, listen, how can you, I understand that you're judging Israel, you're, you're moving your protection, uh, they have turned away from you, I get it, but how can you allow somebody even worse than them to do this? And, and God replies with this. You can look it up later in Habakkuk 1. He says, listen, Habakkuk, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not even believe if I told you. He's like, listen, I will spell it out for you, Habakkuk, because you still ain't going to get it. Now, we have the beauty of hindsight. We can see, right? We saw what happened. Remember we talked about this? What happened? The Babylonians, they came in, they took the Jews, took them off, and then eventually the Babylonians were conquered, because this is how it worked, by the Persians. And then when the Persians got control of everything, the Greeks came in. And they took over the Persians and pretty much everybody else. And then the Greeks did something very interesting. They kind of created, because they took over all the known world at the time, like the first global language. It was like the first time you could write a book and, and pretty much, you know, within reason, everybody could read it. Well, what happens to the Greeks? The Romans. The Romans come in, conquer all the Greeks. What do they do? They build roads everywhere. Everywhere. So now you can travel everywhere. For those of you who know your history, 
you know what purpose God could have with a global language and roads that could lead you everywhere in the known world. The Bible. This is how the word of God got throughout the Old New Testament. Written pretty much in Greek. You see all of Paul's travels on the roads and by sea. God took what happened to Israel and he used it throughout the centuries to eventually have the gospel spread throughout the known world. Read about this. It's so intriguing. God always has a plan. Period. Always. Joseph, the Old Testament. Dude gets to, dude's a snotty little teenage punk. So what does his brothers do? They sell him into slavery, right? You know? They sell him into slavery. So if you have a brother or sister that you, bugs you, you, know, you can appreciate them more unless they've sold you into slavery. Sells him to slavery. God lines everything up. Years later, what does he do? He's put in a position where he can provide food for his family during a, what's it called when you don't have any food? Famine. Famine. Thank you. And why was that important? Because who was Jesus a descendant of? Joseph. God always has a plan. Whether you can see it or not. Disciples couldn't see it. This is why they were running and hiding. They were scared for their lives. This is why the ladies were mourning that morning. Man, who can get us open so we can put these spices? Because they couldn't see God's plan. Make no mistake, we rejoice today because God always has a plan. When I look back in my life, and I look at the tragedy, I look at the struggle, I look at the bad situations, the surprise situations. I look at my own sin and stupidity, which most of the bad situations come from. Man, and it is amazing to watch how God was faithful through all of it and used it to bring me to the point that I'm at today. God always has a plan. That's why we rejoice. That's why we celebrate. And without God, you have to look at yourself for the plan. You have to look in the mirror and make the plan. But I gotta be honest, if I'm part of a species that requires companies like Tide to put do not eat on the packaging, it makes me question my ability to come up with plans for myself in my life. And so either we come up with plans and they fail, or we come up with plans and they succeed, but we run over everybody in our lives to get there. But when you have God in your life, you have a confidence and a hope outside of yourself. And it gives you reason to rejoice because it brings peace and joy because God always has a plan. I tell you right now, I don't know what you are all going through, I don't know what you're suffering through. I don't know what you're struggling with. But whatever it is, God has allowed it in your life. But I guarantee you right now, he has a plan for it. Even if nothing else, the plan is to cause you to look to him more in your life. God has a plan. Do you know that this morning? God has a plan. That feeds us to our third implication. 
He says this to tell the ladies, tells them what to do, the angel. And he says, look, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. He's like, look, go let him know. Go let him know. Now, the ladies were, said nothing because they were filled with fear, which happens to a lot of us. But when you're not filled with fear, you have this same purpose given to you. Say, look, you have been given the message of the gospel, which is the hope for the world. Go, tell people. Tim Keller says this great thing. He says, the resurrection gives you freedom from the world and it gives you freedom for the world. Freedom from the pains and the hurts and the struggles of the sin in the world, but it gives you freedom for the world. It gives you the one thing that would bring healing to this world. And I'll tell you right now, there's no other reason to believe in the gospel. Look at the words of Christ. Look at the words of the New Testament. If you apply them to the world situations we have today, everything would be pretty cool. You wouldn't see war in Russia and Ukraine driven by fear or power because the supply that the leaders who are starting these wars need would come in Christ. You wouldn't see cancel culture. Why? Because there would be forgiveness in the humility, knowing that we're all sinners. List goes on and on and on. Tim Keller says, mate, you get freedom for the world. You have the thing that everybody else needs and God giving you the strength and the ability to go tell them the most important message in the world, not just for the preachers or the singers or the people that can talk well. Everybody has the ability because of the power of the spirit. Everybody. Kevin, one of our board members, he talked about this a few weeks ago. Everybody has freedom for the world to give. And for those of you who have walked in it and had an opportunity to share it, you know the joy that comes from knowing somebody through you, by God's power, has come to know that freedom. And you get to make a difference now. If you go and, and, and you study other religions, when, when they talk about salvation, they talk about like it's escape from the material world, Right? your soul goes off to heaven or you just get into a state of bliss and you don't care about anything or another realm of consciousness or whatever. But the resurrection says, no, 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 no. That starts now. See, the resurrection proves that God wants to move and bring freedom in people's lives now. That's why when, when we pray, you remember the, the prayer of Jesus, the Lord's prayer, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on on earth, on earth, like now. Your kingdom can come now. See, the resurrection proves that God does not love evil. He does not love sickness. He does not love disease. He does not love hunger. Well, why do we have it? Why do he just snap his fingers? Well, that's a big, long sermon for another week. All I'll say is he respects us enough to give us what we choose. And when we choose to be our own gods, this is what happens in the world. Okay? But he says, no, now you can make a difference in people's lives now. God's kingdom can come now. Man, I like, I, you don't know me. Well, some of you know me, but I am messed up. I am a sinner. I have a lot of ugly in me. I've talked about it. I try not to hide it, except the ones, the, the ugly I'm not aware of, which I have people who have no problem telling me, thank, thank, thankful for them most of the time. 
Okay, right? I have this in me, and you have it in you. We all have it. But God says, no, no, no. It's okay that you have it. In fact, I'm going to use it so you can tell other people about Jesus. So you can show other people how in your own ugliness and your own pain and suffering, how he touched and moved you, how you rolled stones away for you, how you worked out his plan in your lives so they may find hope in their own life. And when you really put your faith in Christ and you believe in the resurrection, you're hungry to do these things. You like want to do these things. This is why people don't care about giving their time in the church or even their community. They don't care about giving their money or their energy because they, like, it all belongs to God. And if any of you can help people find freedom in this life, I'm, I'm going to do it. Because it really, in the end, it's, it doesn't matter. It's all going to go away. In the, in the New Testament church, we actually saw them. They were so excited about the gospel, they celebrated when they got persecuted. They celebrated. They celebrated. Get that. They got persecuted and they threw a party. Right? We rage if somebody cuts us off on the freeway. They got persecuted. And they were like, yeah! Woo! And then they go and they would pray for more boldness. They are better Christians than I, I will admit it right now. Why? Because they knew they had freedom for the world. So nothing would distract them, not even death. If you read that why the Christianity became so big uh, in the first and second centuries, you, and you can read this because non-Christians would complain about this, right? That when plagues hit, epidemics would hit in the first, second, third centuries, you know, probably smallpox, it would just wipe out people. 23, I think they estimate anywhere between 25 and 35% of the population died. And what pagans did, who had the means to, they got out of the city. In fact, it was not uncommon, I kid you not, it was not uncommon that if you had a member of your family who were sick, you would throw them out onto the street. Just go with God. Why? Because you did not want to die. But Christians, they didn't leave. They didn't leave. They picked up not only their own sick, but they stayed and they carried for, cared for the sick of others. They would touch them. They would lift them up. People with ooze coming out of sores on their hands, knowing that they would probably get sick and they may die. You know why they stayed? No, not just because they were better people, because they believed in the resurrection, right? They believed in the resurrection. They're like, look, everything that happened here is temporary. There's oppression, there's depression, there's death here, but it is all temporary. It can't compare with eternity. And because it can't compare with eternity, then the, the world can do its worst. I can be poor, I can be homeless, I could die, go for it. Death, do your best. I got a better place, I'm going anywhere. And until that happens, I'm going to follow the words of Christ. I'm going to bring this freedom to the world. I'm going to love one another so that people may know that I'm a follower of God. That they may find the freedom that I have found. This is why Christians celebrate. Because when we come on Sundays, we celebrate because we know Monday through Saturday, we got a message of hope that we have people in our lives that desperately need and we get to be a part of it. And we don't care what the cost we know we got freedom for the world. Makes us brave. Makes us bold. Makes us excited.
Now, for some of you, um, this message of hope is probably a little hard to grasp. Not because you don't believe in God, not because you don't understand God's resurrection, but because you don't understand what God's resurrection has done for you personally. Look back at verse 7. He says, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. He goes, go reassure the disciples, the guys who didn't understand that, I was gonna, that Jesus was going to die, the guys who ran and they're hiding and scared. He said, go find them. Tell them Jesus is going to meet them there. This is powerful. He didn't say, listen, ladies, go find those faithless, backstabbing cowards, those disciples, and tell them, meet me in, in Galilee, and, and if they grovel on their knees for their lack of faith in me, then maybe I'll reinstate them into the movement. Maybe. Tell them to bring me flowers, and I'm sorry, card. He didn't say that. He said, tell the disciples, my followers, still in their position, meet me in Galilee. And then he also says, and who? Peter. He says, Peter. Why has he mentioned Peter? Remember Peter? Peter was the tough guy. Peter, Peter was the guy whose favorite meal was his shoe, right? Putting his foot in his mouth, remember? Right? That's why I love Peter. I'm like, oh, Peter gives me hope, right? He was the one when Jesus said, this is going to happen to me and this is going to happen to me. He said, no, we will never let that happen. Never, Jesus. Right? He was the guy in the garden when Jesus got took. He took out his sword and sliced the dude's ear off. And then what did he do? He denied Jesus how many times? Three times. Hey, you're a follower of Jesus. No, no, that was not Jesus, not me. And a second time and a third time until the rooster crowed. And what did he go do? He wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. Everything that Jesus had done for him and gave him, and he failed Jesus. He failed him. But, but Jesus says, and Peter. You know, and I, this is why I think Jesus did this. This is why I think he did this. Because if, he, if the angel would have just said, hey, go tell the disciples, they would have went and told the disciples, and Peter would have been like, hey, you guys go. Um, Jesus obviously doesn't mean me. Uh, I'll just stay here. You ever felt like that? You read the verses of the Bible. You read the, the power of God's spirit. You read about this love and this hope, and, you're, and you feel like it can't be me. I know every one of you has. We'll believe these verses. We will spout them out into people's lives. I will spout them out in your life. I will go back into my office. I will look in the mirror, and the seeds of doubt will come into my heart. Oh, that, that's everybody but you. We all battle this. It can't mean me. But here's what this angel is saying. And here's what Jesus ends up saying in all these interactions between him and Peter. You know what Peter does. He ends up becoming one of the biggest leaders in the church, right? Comes one of the leaders of the church. Still puts his foot in his mouth several times, but he does it as one of the leaders in the church. You know why he became one of the leaders in the church, in my opinion? 
because he was one of the biggest screw-ups. What do I always say? God uses the most messed up people to make a difference because when it happens, people know it was obviously God because it couldn't have been that person. Mm -hmm. But in this is the theological profoundness of the gospel. As one pastor said, because Peter's screw-up was the biggest, his repentance would be the deepest and his grasp of grace would be the greatest. This is one of the reasons that we celebrate the gospel. It's because through it, we experience the grace of God. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. You see, because of his failure, because he denied Jesus at three turns, and God still said, you are going to help lead my church. That actually made him the most qualified person. And it's, and it's weird because it's not how the world works. In the world, it's all about what you do and your strength. And that's the problem with the idea of religion. It's about strength. Salvation is from strength. It's about I'm good, I do good, I give, I serve, I go. But the gospel says, no, 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 no. No, no, no. The resurrection is not about, the, about strength. It's about weakness. That salvation is by grace, God's grace, through dying upon the cross. And, and salvation is only received, fully received, when you admit how weak you really are. And how much you need him. Paul Washer calls this the paradox of the Christian life, that when you finally understand who Christ is, you understand your own sinfulness and weakness. But it's not weakness unto despair. You look to Christ, who is your strength, and so you find joy because he supplies all of your needs. And then the more in your Christian life that you get to know God, you understand your deep, your sinfulness more and 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 more. But as you understand it more and more and more and more, it causes you to look to God more and more and more and more and to be amazed with his grace and his love and his kindness and his faithfulness. And it brings joy. So like there's this deeper despair and realization of how you're unworthy and how sinful you are, but then it's overcome by an even deeper joy of God's grace and love and mercy in your life, which gives you boldness and, and strength and excitement uh, and, and causes you to praise his name and to tell people about who he is and to want to seek his word to find out more about this Jesus. It is the most fascinating paradox. As I've been a Christian I have no idea how long. You lose track when you get older. But I've, I've continued to see this, the grace of God continuing to appear in my life over and over. That's why I praise him. But you know what I had to do to experience all of this? I had to answer the call that these ladies came when, G, when the angel said to them, come and see. I had to come and see. And I didn't do it right away. I became a Christian when I was 16. L loved to church on Sundays and loved myself the rest of the week. It wasn't until I was 20 that I started to come and see. 
I started to actually read his word. I actually started to go to church. I actually started to want to be like Christ and serve him. And the more that I would come and see this resurrected Lord, the more his joy and his grace and his purpose would fill my life. So my prayer for you today is that you would come and see. If you don't know Christ, you don't even know if he's real, just come and see. Come to church. If nothing else, you get tasty treats after church. Nice, comfortable chairs. Fantastic music. What does it cost you? But I tell you right now, what it'll give you is everything. It'll give you healing for your hurts, purpose for your life, an understanding of who you are and who God has called you to be, if you'd only come and see. You'd open up your Bible and read the words of Jesus. You come and see. When you get on your knees and you ask the Lord, show me who you are, you come and see. For those of you, some of you, you go to church, but you still haven't fully seen the Lord. I invite you to come and see. Your relationship with God is not a one day a week thing. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why we always tell you to memorize scripture, to read your Bible, to serve, because there is a deeper walk that God has for you. Not just as your savior, but as your Lord, as he leads you through your life, I pray that you would come and see. And for all of you, you're following the Lord and he is your Lord and Savior. I pray a passion would grow inside of you to find the people around you and in boldness to say to them, come and see. 